You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So, uh, one of the things that I really love about Proverbs is that there's a, there's a consistent um, putting forth of both ends of the spectrum of wisdom. So in essence, uh, what I'm saying is that um, Proverbs tells us how to walk wisely, both in the positive sense, in that it tells us what to do, but it also tells us in the negative sense, as in what not to do, right? Um, So we get this really great, I think, full sort of whole rounded picture of what it is um, that God would have for us if we walk in wisdom. And so uh, what we're going to do first is just look at um, what Proverbs would tell us not to do if we want to walk with a measure of discernment, right? If we want to make decisions well in our day-to-day life. And I think uh, I'm going to go to a verse that we actually didn't read. It's at the very beginning of the book. Uh, And the reason that I want to do this is because I think, honestly, that this verse sets us up essentially for what is the tension throughout all of Proverbs, And this is what it says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward, right? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So what is is the book of Proverbs going to tell us? This is our jump off point for a reason. What what the book of Proverbs is going to tell us is this. If we want to walk wisely in our decision-making What we can't afford to do is listen to sinners. Proverbs is acknowledging that there is a way that the world would like to operate that ultimately is not only sinful but foolish. And that when those opportunities are given to us to follow in that way, when we are enticed by those things, that we shouldn't consent, that we shouldn't walk in that. So that's clean and simple, and maybe we should just move on to the next point. But I think that there's uh, some helpful nuance in there as to what are some ways that we end up listening to sinners? What What is it that leads us and puts us into that place where we clearly have here for us the wisdom of God telling us to listen to Him instead of to them, and yet we so often find ourselves in the former? And this is where Proverbs is going to help give us some more shape. Uh, around this, right? So we, we read from Proverbs 18, and I'm going to go there now. And Proverbs 18, verse 1 says this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And we're going to pause right there. I'll get to the rest of the verse in just a second. But what is Proverbs telling us? Proverbs is telling us that when we isolate ourselves, here's what happens. We think only of ourselves, Right? So when we live in sort of this world where we are all that is known or cared for or understood or desired, then naturally we become only focused on ourselves. We become selfish. We become greedy. We become inconsiderate, prideful, vain. Life becomes chiefly about the pursuit of our wants and our desires as a means to satisfy ourselves. In essence, um, the degree to which we have relationships with other people is the degree to which we are limited in terms of not only empathy, being able to understand the difficulties that other people walk with, but to care about them. Right? Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
And that pursuit becomes so all-consuming that it leads us to the second half of the verse. It says this, he breaks out against all sound judgment. So when we isolate ourselves, right, we put ourselves in a place where really everything that we are and want and desire is first, chief, and only what we are looking at. And that then leads us to this place where we break out against all sound judgment. So the first thing to do if, if you want to end up walking foolishly in terms of your decision-making is to isolate yourself. It's to take a step back and to live inside of yourself and inside of your own desires, which then leads us to the second thing. We end up not just only considering ourselves, we end up only listening to ourselves. Proverbs 16.2 says this, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. So what happens? We isolate ourselves, right? We only consider ourselves. We break out against all sound judgment, and it becomes sort of this echo chamber where we're just giving ourselves advice and going, oh, yeah, that's good. Yes, that sounds good. Yes, I should definitely do that because it lines up with, again, everything that I want and desire and everything that has only been considered in light of how it affects me. And so Proverbs 16 tells us this, right? That all of the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. So this is where the danger creeps in, right? Most of us are like, I'm fairly level-headed. Like I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in a church gathering on a Sunday morning. I mean, how, how bad could listening to myself be? And yet when, when we read in Proverbs chapter 1 earlier when it says, when sinners entice you, do not consent, we have to remember that if Paul says, I'm the chief among sinners, um, it's probably also true of us. And the danger is that when that happens and we are isolated, Well, we're lost and left to our own devices, right? This right here, I mean, this is so prescient just for today. This is the book of Proverbs right now speaking directly into our biggest cultural difficulty in that, in that this kind of living, right, isolation, individualism, only considering that which is best for us and living out of our own wisdom that's the seat of moral relativism, right? What is that? What, what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you. You do you, man. I'm going to do me. Right? Proverbs is telling us that's foolish. And if there's anything that we can take away from just observing our current cultural situation we can see that that's true. But here's the biggest problem beyond all of that, beyond the fact that we can empirically now look at the world as it is and that, that has held to this line of thinking for so long and how it's crumbling before our very eyes. Biggest problem is this. The Lord weighs the Spirit. Proverbs tells us that when we only heed ourselves, when we only listen to ourselves, 
we end up weighing things with a balance that God's not using. And so we end up weighing things incorrectly, improperly, because God is looking at the Spirit, right? And then this brings us full circle. Because you know what inevitably happens is when we walk in our own ways, out of our isolation, here's what happens. We end up getting let down at some point. Things might go well for a while. It's not always bad. But we end up getting let down at some point. And then, and then what do we do? We go, well, that didn't work. So maybe I need somebody to help me out, speak into this. Maybe it's a self-help book. Maybe it's a coach, a life coach, a mentor, or this, or that, or the other, right? A magazine, 10 best tips for XYZ, right? And it brings us back full circle to Proverbs 1.10 because inevitably where we end up running is not to the Word, but we end up running to, okay, what's the latest and greatest scheme? What's the, you know, what does this person have to say about this? This guy made a million dollars, so I'm going to do what he said to do. Or this guy has the kind of wife that I want to have, or this girl has this, right? And we study and we lurk and we tweak and we go back to the drawing board. And so there's this progression where we isolate, we live according to our own wisdom, it fails us, and then we go to the wisdom of the world and we say, help me please. And all of it ends up letting us down. Instead of turning away from the sinner's enticement, we give them consent, which is precisely what Proverbs 1 tells us not to do. We allow them to speak into their, we allow them to speak into our lives. But their wisdom is foolishness to God. Psalm 1 paints this picture wonderfully. And so I would encourage you to spend some time in it a bit later. But this is Psalm 1, chapter 1, right? What does it say? Blessed is he, blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, right? And we'll get to the verse 2 in just a second. So, if what Proverbs is telling us not to do is to listen to sinners, then, well, it's fairly obvious that what Proverbs is telling us to do is to listen to God. And Proverbs 1.33 really rounds that out for us when it says this, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I don't misinterpret that quite yet, but God wants us to listen to Him. And if we want to walk wisely, and if we want to walk with good discernment, if we want to make decisions well, then that's where it's got to start. And so how do we do that, right? And how do we hear from God? That's all great and good to say that, but practically, how do we do that? Um, and this is where I think we could jump around in Proverbs a lot more, but what I, what I really want us to do is we're just going to take uh, a surface walk across the book of Philippians. Um, and so if you want to turn there, you can. Um, please be my guest. We're going to uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1. And what I love about this is that this is Paul exhorting a church. So much like you and I, this is Paul writing a letter and saying, guys, look, this is what it looks like to live in light of Jesus. This is what it looks like to walk with God, right? And he's going to tell us how to, how to listen to God. And so Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 and 10 say this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so what Paul does for us here is he lays out um, the importance of that discernment, right? So that we might approve what is excellent, so that when those decisions come up, we might see what is good in them and that we might approve what is excellent, that we might be found blameless, that we might not walk in sin, but that we might be found blameless in the day of Christ, right? So important. And so how are they going to accomplish that? Well, it says by, by knowledge, now, if you go back to the first week right, of Proverbs, we talked about Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so not, not fear in the sense of like, please don't hit me, but fear in the sense of reverence, right? Fear in the sense of like, okay, God, you weren't kidding when you said that you are sovereign over all of creation. You weren't kidding when you said that you are omniscient, that you know all things, from, from eternity past. You weren't kidding when you said that you are omnipotent, that you're all-powerful, that there is nothing that can thwart you or your will or your, or your power. You weren't kidding when you said that you were omnipresent, that you're in all and through all and over all and sustaining all, even right now, right? That, that the beginning of knowledge is, is estimating God rightly. You know, like, like someone who goes in and estimates a house. What do they do? They look at all the attributes of the house. They go, okay, this is good. It's got this kind of lighting. It's got this kind of insulation. It's got this old of a HVAC unit, which that's a big deal in Texas. And, right? and then they make an estimate that's appropriate, right? When Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, what it's saying is, is when we estimate God's greatness, His glory, His majesty, His justice, His righteousness, when we estimate that correctly, that's where knowledge starts. That's when we begin to live lives that make sense in the world that God has created. And so how do we gain knowledge? That's essentially the question, right? Because it says, the prayer of Paul for the people at Philippi is that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they might approve what is excellent. Well, thankfully, in the book, Paul makes it utterly clear how it is that we would listen to God, how it is that we would gain knowledge that leads us to discernment and to approving what is excellent. And so, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what is Paul saying? He's saying if you want to hear from God, if you want to walk in the way that he has called you to walk, to be found without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, then hold fast to the word of life. The first place that you and I should go if we want to hear from God is the most obvious place. It's his word. And that's why we not only get together on Sundays and we preach the word 
We also sing the word and we speak the word together. Because it's in his word that he has revealed himself clearly. I mean, sure, there's a lot of things that we don't know about God, but there's a lot of things that we do know about God if we go to his word. Right? What is, remember Psalm 1? We were just there. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. What's verse 2? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And it tells us that, that when that man not only sets aside all of the world's wisdom, but when he takes up the law of the Lord, what does it say? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing its fruit in its, se- in its season, right? Whose leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And maybe not according to the world's standards of prospering, but prospering in what matters, right? The word is where God speaks to us clearly about what he would have us to be concerned with what he would have us to walk in light of, right? Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance, right? That's why we need discernment. But as far as broad bucket categories, they've been made very, very clear. So if we want to hear from God, we hear from God in his word. Where else? Philippians 2 says this at the beginning of the chapter. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is it that Paul's saying here? I mean, it's quite obvious that he wants them to agree on something, right? Full accord, one mind, same mind, right? I mean, it's like three times in the same verse. And he says that that same mind, that full accord, that being of one mind, all comes out of what? Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, sympathy and affection, right? So he's saying, look, if, if Jesus has done what he's said he's done, if he's drawn you together through his redeeming work on the cross, and if the, the Spirit of God now indwells you, right? If, if the Spirit is living inside of you as you walk through life together, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is that one mind? Paul is saying, church at Philippi, you need to be singular in your approach to life and life together. What is it? They are to be of one mind with regard to the glory of God. Quite simply. That their whole, that their whole lives have been turned upside down and that all, where, where we had all of these things competing for our affections now because of what Jesus has done for us and the glorious nature with which he has redeemed us, now we are singularly minded around ascribing worth and value to him through our lives. We're to be singularly consumed with the glory of God. That's our one pursuit. That's our one desire, not just for what happens in us, but what happens through us, that God's glory would be put on display. 
Now, so why is this important? This is important because now we begin to learn that, that, that we do need counsel, right? So at first we were like, well, we shouldn't listen to sinners and we shouldn't listen to the wisdom of the world. Got it. Good. But who am I supposed to listen to? Well, of course, we said listen to God. We hear from Him in His Word, but we also hear Him in the words of His people. And why is that? It's because this indwelling spirit has unified us around this singular purpose. And so here's the thing. The moment that we begin to deviate, the moment that we begin to isolate, the moment that we begin to walk according to our own wisdom, we've got a collective of people who are all looking at the same goal, which is the glory of Christ, and can look at your situation and go, listen, brother, listen, sister. I understand why that's tempting and appealing but let's approve what is excellent with our lives. That's why, that's why he's given us each other. That's why he's so concerned with the unity of the body and the body being built up according to the gifts of one another because we're all striving towards the same goal. And when we do that, when we are all unified as to what should be valuable, we can help each other make decisions around those values. In a lot of ways, that should relieve us of some of our stress, the anxiety of decision-making. As Christians, we're singularly minded, singularly concerned with the glory of God made manifest both in us and through us. Every decision is an opportunity to see that happen. That's why uh, Romans chapter 12, a verse that we're all probably fairly familiar with, makes so much sense. All right, this is what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's, right, he's writing to a group of people. So this is not just God's word straight to you that you get to internalize and do with what you want. This is us together, right, being transformed by the renewal of our minds. By testing, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that happens when the people of God gather around the word of God. And in prayers to the spirit of God, right? Philippians chapter four says this. This is the third way that we hear from God. We hear from God in His Word, we hear from Him through His people, and we hear from Him in prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, what, you see what happens here? I love that this, is the, that this is the cap on the book. Paul knows that Philippi is a young church. Paul knows that Philippi is uh, filled with very different people. You have the rich of the rich in Lydia, and then you have the poor, like, demon-possessed slave girl that came to Christ, and then you've got the Roman jailer, right? Like, you've got, you've got a broad cross-section of people, a young church, a young movement, Right? having to make a lot of decisions about life. What does he tell him? 
Hold fast to the word of life. Be of one mind with one another. Strive after the glory of God. And you know what? Don't be anxious. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then what does it say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, so what is, I, I love the way Paul leaves this because here's what, he, here's what he doesn't say, right? In everything with prayer, uh, with supplication and thanksgiving, present your request to God and he will tell you exactly what you should do every single time unambiguously. Like he's, like God's gonna, God's gonna pop out from behind the curtain and he's gonna hold up like the mascot of the, the college that he wants you to go to for grad school. Uh, or, or like the 98 Taurus that he wants you to buy instead of the Corvette that you bought last week, right? Or whatever. That's not what he says. But what he does say is one that we can supplicate, we can make supplication so we can ask, right? So we can, we can Hebrews would say we can come boldly before the throne of God for, for mercy and grace in time of need because of Jesus, that we have that right to do that, right? But that when we do it with thanksgiving, right, and that's key, knowing that, like we just saying, that, that all we have is Christ, that everything that, is, everything that we need or want or could desire is already in him, and so we've been given it, and so we have a posture of thanksgiving in spite of the difficulties of life around us. And then what does it say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds. The peace of God, when we pray to God, when we go to hear from Him in these places, when we walk in community with one another, and when we go to His Word, it's the peace of God surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds, which keeps us from doing what? From isolating, from living according to our own wisdom, and when that fails us, going to the world for answers. So at this point, we should know, we should know that we need counsel, right? I mean, we read it earlier in, in chapter 15 of Proverbs, right? Without Without counsel, plans fail. But with many counselors, plans succeed. We know we need counsel. We know, we know we can't isolate ourselves. But we also know that we don't need just any counsel, right? That we need godly counsel. That we need counsel that has taken God's word and his value into account, right? We need counsel from the spirit-filled body of believers. We need counsel from the Lord in prayer. But what is it that we really need to, to, to see that counsel not only given, right, to step into those areas where we're going to come into godly counsel, into his word, into the, the community, the fellowship of believers, and into prayer. But what is it that we need in, in order to actually receive that? Like to actually walk in it, you know what I mean? Paul talks about that difficulty in Romans chapter 7. He says all the time, like, man, there's these things I want to do. I know I need to do, but I don't do it. Why? Why don't I do that? 
what do we need to act wisely in light of godly counsel? I think it all boils down to one word. Humility. Humility. Right? Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 just briefly. This is what it tells us. And I skipped this in, uh, uh, on purpose, right? So we read those first two verses about how if we belong to one another, then we're, we're going to be of one mind, of one accord, right? Committed to the glory of God and that alone and out of that to one another. Then what does it say? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Get this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For a moment, and uh, this is uh, heretical, but we do it every day, so I guess it doesn't matter. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. And just imagine for a moment, like, equality with God, dwelling in the heavens, eternal perfect relationship with Father and Spirit, the adoration of the angels, riches, wealth, and glory beyond comprehension, any, unlike anything you and I have ever seen. And God the Father comes to you and says, flesh, life, brokenness, death, crucifixion, burial. Who takes that in here, honestly? You wouldn't do it. And yet Jesus willingly walks according to everything that God has asked him to do. John chapter 16, he says, I do nothing apart from the will of my Father. Jesus is what? He's singularly minded towards the glory of God. That's all that consumes him. You think, listen, I don't think we understand that Gethsemane was not like the most obvious place. They came and got him at night in a walled-off garden. A couple of options, don't open the door. A couple of options, uh, don't go to where Judas might know you are. A couple of options, it's dark outside, why don't we run away? He had a decision to make in that moment, a decision with enormous consequences. And he prays to the Father. He says, God, if there's any other way, will you take this? And then he gets gets up, and he walks out of the garden, and Judas approaches. 
Why does he do that? He does that because he's singularly focused on the glory of God and because he's humble enough to know that that's what's required. And so here's the reality. I think many of us are okay with the idea of going to God's word and many of us are okay with praying to God, asking for discernment about our decisions. I think the one that's most difficult for us in this is the idea of bringing all of our lives, our decision-making processes, everything to the table in front of the church, in front of the body of believers, in our, around the tables in our neighborhood parishes and saying, guys, what do you think about this? Am I walking wisely here? Is this for the glory of God or am I walking according to my own counsel here? And you want to know why? It's because we struggle with humility. It's because we, maybe we think we know more than this person or maybe this person doesn't fully understand my situation, man. Right? We need the humility of Jesus. And you know what's miraculous about all of this is that, I mean, look at what Paul says in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, right? This mind of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. We're being called to walk according to something that God's already given us, right? So even though the Proverbs often feel like just kind of this veneer of moralism, look, in light of Jesus, they become really and truly just life in his kingdom. Life following Jesus looks like the Proverbs. Looks like us walking wisely, discerning well, walking humbly before our God. And you know what's crazy? And this will finish this up. Proverbs 15 says this, and we read from Proverbs 15 earlier, but this is how it finishes up. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. And verse, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Jesus is the living, breathing proof that this is true in that the, the, the man who experienced the greatest humiliation that the world will ever know has also now experienced the greatest exaltation that the world will ever know because Philippians chapter 2 tells us, right, that every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, right? Like, I think that covers all the bases. Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But get this, to the glory of God the Father. In that Jesus' humility, walking towards the goal, being singularly minded about the glory of God, resulted actually in the glory of God. And that we've been empowered to do the same. Because Ephesians 2 tells us, right, that not only were we saved by grace through grace through faith, not of works so that none can boast, but that now we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. And so my encouragement and my exhortation this morning to us as a young church that is going to struggle with making decisions 
and is going to be faced with making very formative decisions in this particular season of life for us is that we would listen to God by cherishing His Word, by approaching Him boldly in prayer with thanksgiving, and by immersing ourselves in the Christian community with enough humility to open our lives to one another, trusting that the Lord wants to lead us in all three of those spaces. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. Uh, You are generous and good to us in so many ways. Not least of which, Father, is in that you have given us wisdom for life. That when you invited us to partake of you, you didn't just invite us to experience salvation, which surely would have been enough. But you invited us to partake of the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for making yourself abundantly clear to us, Father. Thank you for revealing yourself and your majesty in great humility. And as we come to the table this morning and as we partake of the, the, the bread and the cup, the broken body of your son Jesus and the blood shed for us on Calvary, may we be reminded that the mind that took him there is also now ours in Christ Jesus, leading us to think less of ourselves, more of your glory. And Lord, may we rejoice then at the weight that that takes off of our decisions because the future is no longer about our future. It's about your future, the one that you're crafting in a world where there is no sin, no death, no pain, and where our very tears you will personally wipe away. And that we've been invited to that banquet table through the table that we're going to partake of now. And so, Lord, we thank you for all these things. You are great and good, generous in mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.